Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast, the show where I sit down with former Amazon executives to discuss Amazon's unique principles and processes and tease out how you can apply them to grow and manage your business. I'm Tyler Wallace, a seven-year former Amazonian, current brand consultant, and your host as we learn to think like Amazon. Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast. Today, I'm pleased to have Chad Gelzer with me on the show. Chad joined Amazon in 1999 and over nearly 16 years held a number of roles, including technical product manager, leader of software development teams, director of fulfillment by Amazon, and director of global sales. In 2015, Chad left Amazon to build and co-lead the Gelzer Home Team, one of the top real estate teams in the greater Seattle area. Chad, welcome to the show. Tyler, it's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is mine and many listeners that that will be tuning in. 16 years is a long time at Amazon, even by today's standards. I know that you've moved on a few years ago, but joining in 1999, those were still the early days. It was pre-internet bubble bursting and Amazon was a much smaller company than what it is today. So maybe before we dive into the meat and potatoes of what we'll discuss here, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and those 16 years that you spent at Amazon? So I've always been driven to kind of create and build. And uh, I started my career at Warehouser, electrical engineering right out of school, a little bit of software development, you know, building solutions uh, <laughs> for manufacturing paper and baby diapers. So you go from there, Amazon calls me in 1999. I'm like, should I keep doing baby diapers or or is this, this book thing going to take off? And I just took a leap of faith. But the journey, you know, innovation building, obsessing over customers, that was what got me to Amazon and the problem space because nothing had been written about it. There's no case studies uh, was just so fascinating. So the people I worked with, you know, it's like, you know, you talk about the 16 years at Amazon. It's funny. It's been six years since I've left. It feels like I just left and it feels like those 16 years were really one long day. Right. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it's just something that it, it's weird. to feel like it's a continuation of what I've been doing. So, People I worked beside were brilliant. You know, they're passionate, they're obsessed. And then the line between work and life, you know, in general was was definitely blurry, you know, because you're all in. And so I had a family, a couple of kids. And uh, in fact, my youngest son was born when he was one, you know, when he was one years old. And I, I was uh, still at Amazon, uh, just started. And so, you know, he turned 17. I go, you know, I, I need to kind of pause. So my kids were getting older and I wanted to, to love on my family a little bit and, and actually create and see if I could build something of my own. So that's my whole career in a nutshell. <laughs> That's great. I, I find it super interesting that you worked with baby diapers before coming to Amazon and feeling like that was experience that might have been out of place at the time. Little did you probably realize that figuring out how to sell baby diapers <laughs> was, was a big problem and a big opportunity for Amazon over the years. It was super funny. You know, you come, you come to Amazon on those days and you don't have an office, you don't have a desk, you just get a computer, two phones, a pager. And it's like, hey, we have some problems. Can you go solve those? And it's like, they just, you just get pointed. So it was, it was a great, great start. And uh, just, you know, again, it feels like just yesterday. So your last role at Amazon until the point you left, you you were leading global sales. I, I know they, there's the fulfillment by Amazon sales team. There are teams that look at helping merchants expand from the US to international or from international to the US. Did all of that touch your role or, or what part did you play in that? 
Yeah, so so it all did. So I started with Fulfillment by Amazon as one of like five people on a team to build Fulfillment by Amazon for for Amazon. And uh, after a while, I moved into a new product development role uh, and business team. And then I actually grew into global sales. And global sales was bringing sellers from around the world, from country to country, uh, to Amazon in all those marketplaces. So not just .com, but Japan or China or even you know Europe. That's a big undertaking and a very key part to Amazon's flywheel of recruiting sellers for the marketplace business, for selection, et cetera. One of the things there that I, I imagine just having worked at Amazon, sometimes you might have an organization that is product focused and it's it's really just a handful of principal PMs and some engineers. But usually in the sales organizations, those are very large organizations because it takes a lot of boots on the ground to have these connections and, and be talking to sellers, be working with brands. Assuming that was the case, I imagine that a big component of your role was actually building and, and leading some of these teams at Amazon. Yeah, you know, Tyler, in all my roles I had, it was funny because you, you kind of start as an, everybody started as an individual contributor, no matter what you're doing. And it evolves, almost every position evolves into a team, right? So you yourself build something and you go, hang on, this is bigger than me. And you build a business out of it, you launch something else out of it. And so it ends up being a team or a part of a business or a brand new business of Amazon. So yeah, everything at Amazon was around hiring and was around hiring the right people. I've definitely seen a lot of that. And your background at Amazon speaks to you having done a lot of that. And I assume that you've been continuing to build high-performing teams with the Gelser home team. Maybe as a first topic, can you tell us a little bit about your approach to building a team? Sure, yeah. I'm going to skip all my crash and burn examples. And we'll talk about the kind of mentors I had at Amazon. And it's really you're hiring, you're hiring one member at a time, right? So it's really cliche. But what I did is it's around three things. And these aren't my ideas. They're not original, but it's kind of around uh, Jeff or my mentors. Like, how do you how do you hire a team? And, and it's really three things. So I got to put it in these buckets. One is you've got to have a big vision. So no matter what role I had at Amazon, if I needed to build that business, I had to have a business vision besides X number of units or X dollars in sales or like that, that doesn't inspire just about anybody. So you have to have the vision big enough that people want to join you. So again, I said, Jeff set the bar super high. He expected the same no matter what part of the business you're operating in, right? So people need to know that they can grow and expand. If your vision isn't big enough, you're probably not going to get a lot of followers. Second thing I'd probably say is this, is that, you know, you have to know your strengths as a leader and you have to hire others who, who are actually better than you and fill in your blind spots. And that's a hard part for even me at Amazon to, to realize that, Hey, these guys I'm hiring are way smarter than I am, or they're way better at X, right? And so oftentimes the smartest person wasn't the best hire because they had a different vision. They weren't a team player. And usually on, our, on my teams, they weren't customer obsessed. So they didn't have that customer component in there. No matter how good they were, they, they weren't hired. And so you have to hire people that actually will challenge you or me, and you have to be okay with that. That was the harder part for me. And then the third thing I would say is, this is critical, and this, this is something that you learn over and over again, but your first hire or two are key because that sets the bar for your entire team. It sets a cadence for your team. It sets an example for your team. You know, these guys do set the bar. They help, help hire the rest of the team. They should be hired with the expectations that any of them, maybe one, two, or three, are your successor someday. So you're actually hiring your first people to be your successor. And it's kind of scary, right? It's scary and exciting at the same time. We always started at Amazon hiring really fast, and that's great for things that you want to do that are very small, 
But if you want to build something big, you have to hire big vision people that can grow and the growth is key. So you're, you're hiring your successor. Every time you hire at the hiring bar, you say, can they lead this business in a year or two? We always aimed at missing a potential candidate rather than hiring the wrong candidate. So in the end, your team is actually stronger. I love that three-step framework. A couple of follow-up questions. Going back to your last point, I feel like your comments about making sure that that first one or two hires are your strongest hires, that's almost your pipeline, your leadership pipeline. I, I don't find that always to be the case in how teams are formed. A lot of times it's, hey, what function do we need first? And it becomes, hey, we need to build a bunch of software. So we need to hire, we, our first hire needs to be a software engineer, or we need to hire an administrative assistant because we need to get all this admin work off of our plate. And often those roles, I imagine, tend to not be this general manager, leader type person that can hold the culture together. So were there trade-offs there that you had to be comfortable with to follow that framework? That's a great question, Tyler, because when I think back on this, even for me, you often were hiring for or you took a role that you thought was below you. So at the time, you're coming into this role, you're hiring for these roles, and these roles are very small to start with, but they grow so rapidly that if you don't hire the right person, They've outgrown the role. Your business has outgrown them. And now you're, now you're stuck in your hiring again. And so you lose that momentum. And so when we would interview, you'd, we'd be looking for, can this person grow from X to Y over two or three years? And if they can't, then maybe we just can't get them. The other thing is, is if these candidates weren't self-aware enough to know that they were better than that position, but they also, again, my first point, believed in the vision and they go, I'm totally going there. I'm doing that. When we started Fulfillment by Amazon, Tom Taylor, great, great VP, but there's, I think he gathered three, four, five of us. And I'm like, Tom, seriously, this thing? He goes, no, 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 this is going to be big. And we talked about the, what it's going to do. And, and uh, so I took a lesser role and I, and I jumped on that team. And probably the greatest part of my career at Amazon was Fulfillment by Amazon and the people that we brought together because everybody that joined that team were capable of doing so much more than when they started. So it was just, yeah, I think that's key. I really like that. And the distinction is hire for growth potential before hiring for the role. And it sounds like that's the prioritization that you made in this framework. I also have to imagine that the order of these three points is not accidental with vision being first. So to talk a little bit more about that, I mean, you've mentioned the Fulfillment by Amazon program a few times. As you shared, it started off as a very small team. It's grown into a massive business. How did you plan for the long term when you were on that team, leading that team? And, and how did you go about creating that vision that trickled down to the team that you're hiring? I love, I love this question because I think when you're in the moment, you don't always truly know it's going to be big, but you have this internal, I don't know what it is, energy or something that says, this could be it. And at Amazon, you had more opportunities for that than other places. But I read something from Stephen Covey, began with the end in mind. So if you know where you're going, if you know what the end goal was, if you know an end goal in Amazon was usually like three to four years, maybe five, but you didn't really know, right? It was moving so fast. But if you begin with the end in mind, you know, if you're injured and your goal is crystal clear, you tend to only think long-term. So you're making a bunch of short-term decisions, but you're always checking them against the long-term path, long-term goal. It doesn't mean you don't take short-term actions, but they all need to move you closer you make better decisions and you're going to throw away some, which is fine, but you always have to know where you're going, right? And it's funny, I started FBA 
we knew we were building something that had the scale. You know, we were given a target like you got the it has to support X number of sellers at launch. And I'm not gonna give you the number because we were we were like, what? How many zeros is that? It was like it was a big number. And that simple number, the goal, we knew internally, like that's almost impossible, but it made us make decisions that actually helped it scale today. In fact, some of the stuff they do today. I still get packages. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a great Amazon customer, but I get packages today. And I, I recognize all the things we did for fulfillment by Amazon for it to work. And on the website, and for it to work, it's still in place the way it was designed on those first days. It's a, a great testament to the amount of effort that goes into building something that can last, right? Not, again, similar to hiring, you know, you weren't just hiring for somebody that can get that role done as it exists today, but you're hiring for somebody that has growth potential. I see a parallel there with the way that you thought about the programs you led as well with fulfilled by Amazon and building something that it's now 16 plus years later. And as you said, you still recognize components of those decisions in your experience as a customer. You also mentioned that there were a lot of those decisions that, that you had to help the team make. And we know a couple of the same people from Amazon one of the things I've heard from somebody that's worked with you before is that you ask really good questions that help drill into an issue and generate a lot of learning for the group in the process. I'm a big believer that for many of us, our early roles and our early experiences in our career help form the way we think and approach problems. Why do you think you are known for asking good questions and helping drill into issues with those you work with? <laughs> I had fantastic mentors. So when you realize the the art of learning is, is through questions, you quickly adapt and go, okay, I need to change course. And again, Jeff, the senior leadership team, it's really about the questions on how to scale. You know, they'd say something like barrage of questions. And you felt like you had to defend your position as an early on, you know, but it really wasn't about defending. It was about learning. And so I didn't ask enough questions early on. I just didn't. I actually trusted, <laughs> I trusted too many people on my team. And I often failed as a leader because I trusted they would do the work they said they were going to do, as opposed to, we call it diving deep, but asking questions. And for me, you know, failure sucks. I hate it. And if you know you can succeed more, if you'd ask more questions or better questions, you do it. And so from those points on, you know, you have some bumps and you have some learnings. You, if I would have just asked two more questions, I would have known that this wasn't going to deliver on time. That's a key thing. And by asking questions, you know, you get to make up the story that, and, and you get to make up the story and make sure the story that you have, your goal, unfolds correctly, or at least you understand what could go wrong and you actually do the risk mitigation, you know. And also by asking questions, you provide perspective that those working the problems often miss because they're too close. So as a leader, you even get close to your stuff, right? So I, as a leader of a team, ask a ton of questions and we do deep dives. We do, do weekly or daily daily reviews of these business units. And when you go present to the S team, so Jeff Bezos' leadership team, they're asking different questions. And the beauty about that is they haven't heard our discussions in our team before. So they may ask the questions we already know, but oftentimes you're going to pull something out of completely different direction. And you're going to be asked this question and you're going to go, huh, and the best answer was always, I don't know. Let me get back to you. Because they were such great questions, right? And if you tried to make up an answer, it was actually you're almost taking away the value of the question. Because the question was there to prod you to think longer, bigger, harder, you know, like further down. And the best answer was always, I actually don't know. Let me get back to you. 
not only is that a great process to follow, but I think that tells a lot about your attitude towards business and, and your attitude towards work. I'll be the first to admit that I had times in weekly business review or quarterly business review meetings <laughs> where I was like, I hope they don't ask any questions I'm not prepared for. <laughs> I hope they only ask the questions I've prepared for. But what you just explained there really shows that you treat really good questions like a gift because it's helping you think about your business from a new angle that is in many cases going to help you be better, be a better manager, be a better leader of that business, better understand your customers. And so I think that speaks just as much about your attitude and self-learning as it does the process of how to be prepared for a question in those scenarios. Tyler, you're being way too kind. So first, I wish I knew this my first day at Amazon, right? So I, I wish I knew this and I wish I could have reflected on it sooner because it's tough if you're a perfectionist and you're passionate about your project or your business as everybody that comes to Amazon is and you want to deliver perfect products, right? So the questions early on came as challenges to me and my team, right? You're, they're challenges. They felt like what you just said. They feel like you're just being beat and it's a big hit to your ego. So the key is using those questions to drive success, you know, and that's where I adopted halfway through my career. I wish it was my day one, right? But it, but it was halfway through is that leave the ego at the door, right? And that's really when we found that innovation actually takes off and happens. If you can drop that ownership. So again, ownership is a key leadership principle at Amazon. You have to drop your ownership of your idea when there's a better question or a better opportunity ahead of you. And that's, I wish I learned that earlier, boy. It, <laughs> I was like you, please just ask questions I know and studied for, but that's not really what it's for. It's about, please ask me questions I haven't thought of so I can make this even better. As I think a little bit more about it, I imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that that also empowered you to ask challenging questions because as you, as you saw questions, as you had this paradigm of, hey, questions are to help all of us be better in thinking about the business, that probably freed you up as the question asker on your team to not feel like you were coming across as challenging or, or threatening anybody else, but you're just helping the conversation go where it needed to go. It is. It's creating an open environment. And again, business is tough, right? So it's not all pats on the back and hugs and all that. It's, but it's, it's creating that comfortable environment where everybody goes, you know, we're going to walk out of here with something better and we're going to try not to keep score and let's just walk out with the best product we can. And the key was if you ask your questions in a curious manner, not as an authoritative question, but as a, how would that work if you did this? Would this scale to this many customers? What happens if this? And, and it's just being curious. So it's all with the intent of your heart and kind of how you come at it. Will your team respond or not? That's the big takeaway, right? Because you can ask questions and, and you're almost asking like you're trying to walk somebody down a, a blind alley and they get stuck in a box. And that's not the intention at all. If you end up in a box, well, then good. Let's get you out of it. But that's not the intention of my questions. Yeah. I also love where Amazon's leadership principles bleed into each other. And I see what we're talking about here being very central to the ownership leadership principle in terms of thinking long-term, right? Not just taking short-term shortcuts, but thinking long-term for what's best for the business, but also into vocally self-critical and not take anything as personal attack, but rather trying to do what's best for the business. And I love the line in what's now the earned trust principle that says leaders don't think that their body odor smells of perfume, which to your point about being comfortable getting into those questions that you're not prepared for or that are difficult to answer or ask really is the way to take things forward. 
Chad, I want to fast forward a little bit now. You know, we've been talking about Amazon. You've obviously left Amazon and built a real estate business. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that transition. You spoke a little bit to some of the deciding factors leading up to that, but I'd love to hear a little bit more like what what it was like going from working in a big tech and logistics company to going into real estate and building a team and a business and a model around this space. And what of these Amazon practices and principles from your past career have you found to apply well in the business you're in today? It's still tough to leave Amazon. I don't know if everybody's like that, but you know, when when you're in that that place with that much passion and people that actually care, it's really hard to leave. So you've, I still feel like one foot's in the door because I've, I'm proud of what we built. But the transition I did, it was actually planned uh, about 10 years before I left in 2005. And I started reading books on real estate. I started studying investments in real estate. Of course, systems and processes and software, all that was what I was doing every day. Uh, my wife, Teresa, had her own appraisal business. So we talked about that a lot. And I met friends in real estate. And over the course of talking to people, I saw such an unorganized, uncustomer-centric opportunity that it couldn't be anything but real estate. It was just, it's just like, I go, this is how you do it. These are the tools you use. This is what these realtors do. This is what escrow does. This is the, like, what? How does this even work? Where's the software? What's that? I mean, it was just all these things. So I started asking questions again, right? And so I just thought there must be a big opportunity to invent and build a business in this space and be customer obsessed, right? The funny thing is, once I started in the real estate in 2015, uh, full-time, I started realizing what I actually didn't know. And when you dive into something, you go, oh, I actually know a lot less than I thought I did. And the opportunity was even bigger and it was even more challenging. So I focused on learning the processes. I focused on the business models. I read everything I could and I was actually doing it. So for the first time, when I left Amazon, I was actually doing real estate. And as I did it, I realized how hard the space was, which made me even more excited. And I went, okay, I'm not going to sell real estate. This is so not fun. I probably shouldn't say it on, on this podcast, but selling real estate is not fun. Selling houses is not fun. It's helping people. It's solving their problems. It's creating a streamlined experience that feels good. And it's also being the fiduciary and being the one that's looking out for people that don't know what's going on. It's like the whole problem space is different than I thought it was. I would be happy to never sell another home again. I'm super excited to help change the space and make it customer obsessed and customer centric and easy for people to really do that. Like in Amazon's terminology, that last mile of service. Tell you, we're such a long way from where it needs to be. And that's kind of why I'm still passionate about it. You're like, Chad, why are you still doing this stuff? You've been doing it now for six years. Like, haven't you solved the real estate problem? It's like, it's so day one. It's funny. Um, there's so many players and it's, it's really exciting. So that's, that's how I got into it. I knew where I was going. I just didn't know how big it was. I didn't know how big the opportunity was. Yeah. I, I mean, just based on that, it sounds like a huge opportunity to the extent that I imagine that it might be overwhelming to think of all the areas that need to be optimized and improved for the customer experience. And it could probably be easy to not know where to start or where to prioritize Coming back to this idea of long-term thinking, how have you with the Gelser home team figured out where you prioritize changing that customer experience? I think like most Amazonians, I left with a pocket full of leadership principles and adopted them all. And it's such a way of thinking that it helps guide whatever business you're building from the ground up. You can do almost anything with those principles and you may focus on a few of them and always starting with the customer. That's easy. To answer that, it's kind of hard because 
it seems intuitive to somebody from Amazon that if you built a business there, and we built many businesses there, and I've been involved in many businesses, that if you start with the customer and work backwards and you figure out what the customer feels. So I, I still sell real estate all, all day long. Right? So that's, half my job is being involved in the business and half of it is being there as the CEO to lead the business and the long-term vision. Now, my vision is pretty big, but it's really about setting that long-term goal, bringing in those hires. So I, I, I overpaid for my first two hires big time because who's going to go for a minimum wage job in real estate and supporting you as an admin? Nope. I was going for a couple of top tier people that I couldn't afford, right? And I also showed them my vision and they go, oh, I want to be a part of that growth. So that's kind of what's got me going. And then, and then always coming back to the customer. In fact, we have our Monday meetings, we have our Wednesday meetings, our WBRs, we have all that stuff. And it's really about how do we improve the process? What's your ahas for the week? Where are your customers struggling? What have you guys heard? What's the, where are the transactions failing? All those things. And it drives our software. It drives our processes. It drives our events, just the way we talk to people. It, it also uh, <laughs> drives our hiring. Have I hired perfectly? No. Nope. But we're hiring more perfectly now. Once you figure out who you want to be, it's super easy. I love that you mentioned that you've got a weekly business review process. And you look at the customer anecdotes. I see the Amazon in that approach. But imagine you've put your own spin on it and applied it in a unique way to the business that you're in. But I think that that's really empowering for a lot of those that have worked at Amazon and now are in different businesses in terms of how some of those principles can be applied which actually leads me into one of my final questions for you, which is what advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are trying to figure out how to build an enduring business and team structure? So I'd refer back to our original part of our talk, you know, about hiring. You've got to have a grand vision that others can help you build, right? They've got to be able to see themselves in that business and they have to hire the high bar, right? You have to hire on principles and use those principles to guide your hiring decision. Your team will feel your growth or it will pull you down. So choose wisely, right? So it's like, if you do nothing else, that is the key. Your first hire has got to be somebody that's going to push you up, right? Or motivate you. I think one more thing I'd add, Tyler, is that you got to be super clear on your vision and your goal, because without that, you can't get that hire. You know, it's okay to know um, your competition's doing. It's okay to know what the business disruptors are, but you've got to have a clear vision. Of course, you're correcting it based on what you learn, but by focusing on that vision, and being clear about it and being able to articulate it to where you can get those hires, that's it. For any startup, that's what I would focus on. Get the vision, be passionate about it, but also be able to articulate it so that you can get those first couple hires to help you propel yourself. Chad, this has been fantastic. I appreciate the time here and diving into both your Amazon experience as well as what it's looked like transitioning from Amazon and building a business that you're involved in today. Who should consider reaching out to the Gelzer home team and what's the best way that they can reach you? I'd love for everybody to just call me, but just go to ghthomes.com. So instead of saying the Gelzer, you can also go to the gelzerhometeam.com. doesn't quite scale, isn't customer friendly. You can't spell it. So ghthomes.com works perfect. <laughs> we'll put a link to that as well in the podcast notes. But Chad, thanks again. This has been a lot of fun talking about long-term thinking, asking questions, building teams, creating a vision, and uh, doing some really exciting things. So thanks for your time. Tyler, it was such a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.